G'day, and welcome to Stick Together, bringing you union news, worker stories, and discussion on social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. My name's Matt Kunkel. This week on the program, we speak with Tony Sheldon of the TWU about last week's decision of the Fair Work Ombudsman to take Fedora to federal court, alleging sham contracting and underpayments of its riders. We also head to Tasmania, where we speak with CPSU Secretary Tom Lynch about the first Liberal state budget since the election earlier this year. But first, some union news. More than 1,500 members of the Electrical Trades Union marched on Queensland State Parliament last week, airing a number of grievances, including the Palaszczuk Labor government's handling of projects in the state's north. The union is demanding that the government step in to ensure safety, decent pay and other conditions on these jobs. Townsville-based electricians who have struggled through work shortages are now facing low wages and non-union conditions. Unionised companies are being told to not even bother tendering for work on the city's new stadium if they couldn't be competitive with those companies paying minimum wage. Also in the state's north, the union reports that non-union employers building the 17 new solar farms are engaging backpackers to do work that should be performed by licensed electricians. This mirrors concerns raised by the Victorian branch of the ETU over the similar use of unlicensed labourers in the construction of solar projects in northwestern Victoria. Here's Queensland State Secretary of the ETU, Peter Ong, speaking at the rally. For some reason, the few asks that we have on the table around solar farms around our licensing issues on the construction of solar farms and about our ask, which is this government uses Cleanco to start building solar farms so that we can have decent wages, we can have licensed workers doing licensed work and so that we can have a government-owned renewable electricity system instead of a privately-owned renewable electricity system. That's all we're asking for. This government made an election commitment that by 2030 it would have 50% renewable electricity generation in this state, and that's an admirable target. But it's not an admirable target if 50% of the electricity generation renewable energy is going to be privatised. That is privatisation by stealth and a slap in the face for every one of our members that stood on the road day in, day out to fight against privatisation and to get this Labor government re-elected. We are not going to tolerate that. And if we have to hit the streets day in and day out again, and if it means the downfall of this government, then so be it. The industrial strife on Australian defence sites continues to spread. National Union of Workers members at logistics company Broad Spectrum stopped work last week at Blamey Barracks, just outside of Wagga Wagga, New South Wales. They joined defence logistic workers at company Linfox, who are also engaged in a nationwide campaign of industrial activity. In circumstances reminiscent of their colleagues at Linfox's defence sites, Broad Spectrum workers have been offered pay increases that do not allow them to keep up with the rising cost of living. The union has indicated that more strike action at defence sites is likely. Tasmanian casino workers and their community supporters braved icy conditions to protest against Rest Point Casino's continued refusals to offer a fair deal in negotiations. 
Last Friday, casino workers took strike action over parent company Federal Group's push to remove a family-friendly roster that has been in place at the casino for more than 20 years. Union members say that the company's proposed change would make it difficult for workers to be able to plan time with their families and have decent social lives. It remains the last matter in dispute between the parties. The union claims that this move is a particular slap in the face, as the parent company, Federal Group, cynically rolled out the workers in the state election campaign earlier this year, trying to use them as the human face of what would be at stake if a putative Labor government won power and took moves to ban pokey machines. The workers are now approaching two years without a proper pay rise. About 50 Victorian prisoner transport workers walked off the job last Friday over a pay dispute. The workers, employed by G4S, represent about half of the prisoner transport workers in the entire state. Their 24-hour stoppage stemmed from stalled negotiations that had commenced last October. The Transport Workers Union says that despite posting a $650 million profit, the company refuses to meet simple demands such as the payment of overtime after eight hours worked. TWU Victorian Secretary John Berger has flagged that further industrial action, including indefinite stoppages, would follow unless G4S provided a better offer. The industrial dispute across Downer Group's engineering, construction and maintenance contracts in Newcastle and the wider Hunter region will escalate this week, with more than 430 electricians and maintenance workers set to down tools for three days of rolling stop work action. The workers have also commenced an indefinite ban on overtime, designed to force the company to lift its wages offer. Downer is currently offering 2.25%, which is still below the ETU and AMWU claim of 3% per annum. The company is also attempting to remove weekend penalty rates. Workers have been subjected to intimidation from the company, who have said that they will face redundancy if they do not accept the company's offer. Despite this pressure, workers will take action at a number of different sites, including the Williamtown RAAF base, two power stations, the light rail project, and both the Mount Thorley and Mount Arthur mines. The action comes after similar action in early June, where workers marched through the streets of Newcastle, demanding a fair offer from the company. Despite the escalation in industrial action, the company intends to put their offer to a vote of workers on the 26th of June. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Last week, the Fair Work Ombudsman filed action against food delivery company Fedora for what it claims is widespread sham contracting and underpayment of its staff. Fedora and other on-demand delivery services have been widely criticised for their employment practices since they arrived on the scene. Increasingly, we are seeing digital disruption in industries laid bare as simply just phone apps that push business as usual but with a flagrant disregard for laws and regulation, especially those relating to industrial conditions. These companies insist that those working for them are not employees but self-employed contractors, which allows them to continue to exploit them, failing to pay proper wages, superannuation and other conditions. The Transport Workers Union organises bike couriers and claims that companies like Fedora pose a risk to unionise couriers at companies who are receiving proper employment conditions and rates of pay above the minimum standards. We're now joined by National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union, Tony Sheldon, for more. Thanks for joining us, Tony. Uh, my pleasure. Last week, the Fair Work Ombudsman filed action against delivery company Fedora for sham contracting and underpayment. The truth is, though, they are pretty late to this party, aren't they? Can you give us a bit of background on the issues facing workers in the on-demand sector and at companies like Fedora and Deliveroo? 
uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. They're certainly late to the party, but I'll give them points for trying. I'll, I'll come back to the fact that they've actually failed a number of fronts with their application. Go to your point you made, and that is, what are we facing in this industry, um, this sector of the gig economy? In a survey of over 200 riders uh, looking at the Melbourne and Sydney markets, uh, almost 50% of riders had either been injured on the job or knew someone had been in, who had been injured. Now, over 70% of riders believe they should get entitlements such as sick leave, annual leave, superannuation, and importantly, one in four riders work more than 40 hours per week, and three in four work more than 20 hours per week. Of these, this idea that this is sort of that the industry has tried to put around that this is just sort of add-on jobs and not a value, which is horrendous in itself. But these are actually full-time jobs, and certainly people earning full-time wages. And many people are relying on this income as their only means of support. You know, it's incredible to think that uh, you know we're in the year 2018, and we're you know looking down the barrel of you know, 18th century piecework payments that was outlawed in uh, the 1900s. So Tony, your survey said that three out of these, three out of every four of these riders aren't making the minimum wage. How do Fedora and other companies like that get away with underpaying these workers? Well, this is the horrendous thing. You know, you've you've well, it's probably probably a couple of reasons why that happens. One is because there is very very low unionisation. To be able to speak out, you know, you um, you know, people are obviously more likely to speak out if they're a member of a union and they're more likely to speak out if the majority of their workforce are members of the union. And then there's the um, safety net of wages, Um, not a safety net on conditions and not a safety net to make sure you're getting those wages day in and day out. But one of the few safety nets um, on the the basic scale um, is the Fair Work Ombudsman and they've been very late um, to the party here on trying to take these cases forward um, on pay- underpayments. And it's an issue that we've raised with Fair Work. It's an issue we've raised publicly with the Minister. Um, and it's an issue we've raised with the previous Minister that was responsible, um, Michaela Cash. And, of course, uh, all that fell on very deaf ears. And in your first response, you said that there were some deficiencies with the Ombudsman's application. Can you give us a bit more detail about that? particularly disappointing is that the application the um, ombudsman has made uh, without consultation with uh, uh, the industry uh, and particularly um, the unions and the union involved, they've actually made an application for the wrong award. So you've got two logical things that the Fair Work Commission will look at with this application. One is, are they employees? Uh, Do they meet that test? Yeah, not a question of whether they're workers, not a question of whether they have an ethical entitlement to rights, but a legal question of the old structure that we have about employees and contractors prior to the gig economy. So I'll use the old test, pre-gig economy, um, and they've picked the wrong award. So they've actually um, failed on a very sort of fundamental confidence booster that they're going to run a case that's actually going to have the sorts of legs that are needed uh, to even meet our outdated legislation. So the case really hinges on whether these workers are either employees or contractors. And the argument is that these companies engage in sham contracting. Can you explain for the listeners what sham contracting is and what the difference between a contractor and an employee actually is? Well, sham contracting uh, is you know, somebody who um, would be and is under present old legislation. You know, I say old in the sense that this is pre-gig economy legislation. 
um, where the person um, is would be is is under law an employee. They would receive superannuation, long service leave, sick leave, workers' comp. Uh, all the benefits you would see as a an employee, uh, casual loading, uh, if you're not a permanent. Then you have, and of course, rights of reinstatement, collective bargaining, which are fundamental, uh, the right to have a voice through your union and collectively with your workmates, or a sham contract, which avoids all those responsibilities of an employer and illegally operates. Um, and what we've said, particularly in the case of the bicycle couriers, that there is sham, very clear sham contracting, and we've exposed Fedora uh, to knowingly from emails that have been publicly exposed a few weeks ago and received some um, coverage um, across the country where Fedora themselves and in internal emails amongst senior managers were raising the fact that their Fedora workers were really probably employees and they better, they better start changing the arrangements to stop them looking like employees that they really are whilst being paid as contractors. Well, what happens is that the, these, these um, workers are, are riding you know, in literally rain, hail and snow, uh, the heat of the, of the middle of summer, uh, delivering to our homes. Uh, if they get knocked over by a car, and in the survey we did of just over the 200 riders, on average, one rider a week was being knocked over by a car and commonly being hit, you know, doored by a car with someone's flicking the door open um, and knocked a rider over. And when they get injured, there's no workers' comp, no support from the company, and to rub salt totally into the wounds of this horrendous situation, uh, the companies put them on a scale from one to six. If they haven't worked for a number of weeks, regardless of the reason, regardless of the injury, regardless of being hurt at work, they're put back down on the bottom of the scale and have to start to literally ride their way back up to uh, to get the good jobs that uh, might pay them above minimum wage and often don't. So earlier you mentioned the fact that one of the issues in this industry is that the workers aren't highly unionized. What do companies like Fedora do when workers speak out? Um, you've got a case coming up, I think, in a couple of weeks um, about one particular worker. Can you expand on that? That's right. Well, we've got a case, um, an important case. Uh, we've actually um, taken now several cases to um, various uh, food delivery companies. Um, many of them have made, um, have made payments uh, to buy them way, their way out of dealing with this very fundamental question of whether they're employees and they have a right to reinstatement. And we've been able to get some people reinstated, others of substantial um, payments. Um, this particular rider has said, look, I, I want my right in my day as an employee. I want to be reinstated and I want to make sure that the industry is properly held to account for what they did to me and what they're doing to my workmates. In the beginning of July, um, there'll be a case uh, dealing with those fundamental question of whether he's an employee. And in this case, uh, this fellow was terminated because uh, whilst in a, uh, uh, working for Fedora, uh, he set up a um, writer's site uh, where people could talk about the problems they had or the, the, um, the, the, the rides they went, which they might have well enjoyed, and, um, but also um, how to improve their, their workplace and just general chit-chat amongst writers. Uh, and the company demanded of him to hand over the entire list and all the contact details uh, over to the company and no longer operate on that site. Um, he refused to do that, so the company terminated him. Now, this is reflective of what Fedora has done in other parts of the world, and also similarly, very similar companies, Deliveroo, uh, Uber Eats, um, their actions against writers that have tried to organise. Um, and it's not um, only 
uh, happening in Australia, but certainly it's happening in very many parts of the world. And um, you know, legislation uh, needs to catch up. The TWU has launched a campaign in the on-demand economy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how people can get involved? What we've got is a, a series of committees um, of uh, workers from the on-demand economy, particularly in the Sydney and Melbourne markets, um, where riders are coming together on a regular basis and you know, talking about their concerns, um, the you know, literally the theft that's been carried out by their companies against them, um, and what the opportunity is for riders to turn around and organise to with their workmates and start um, doing the fundamentals of building a union, uh, to giving people a voice to uh, make sure that uh, those rights uh, that they should be enjoying are enjoyed, but also demanding legislative change um, and accountability for the people that run these companies. You know, these the riders, uh, many of them are bicycle riders, but also increasingly, increasingly um, um, car vehicle uh, owners and rider drivers uh, and motorbike riders uh, are coming forward as well, so that we can come together and make sure that we do get those very fundamental conditions that you know Australians. You know, one in the 1900s and are having destroyed by the gig economy through apps leading us to the 18th and 18th century economy for working people. And the way that they can, people can get involved is uh, you know, by contacting uh, the Transport Workers Union and um, being part of uh, the writers' campaign and you know, to have a voice about what they want to see happen in their industry and to make sure that they get the sort of fundamental rights that you know, whether their um, fathers, their um, their uh, mums, their grandparents uh, have enjoyed, um, and certainly the sorts of things that many Australians uh, expect from their employers. And finally, Tony, what's your message to union members and other community members out there that are using these types of on-demand delivery services? Look, what I'd be saying to the entire community, get encourage riders to, um, to get involved, but also say to their politicians, whatever political ilk they are, this has got to be, this has got to be changed. It is not good enough to see that we're seeing riders being uh, literally doored, injured, flattened on our roads, no workers' comp, no sick leave, and then persecuted by the companies that are underpaying and below minimum wage. Let's demand our politicians to act and to act now. Tony Sheldon, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much for your time. You're listening to Stick Together, union news and workers' stories broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Last week, the Tasmanian state Liberal government handed down its first budget since regaining power at the elections in March this year. A lot of focus surrounded on the budget after the big spending, big promising election campaign. To hear more about the budget and what it means for Tasmanian workers, we're joined by Tasmanian Secretary of the Community and Public Sector Union, Tom Lynch. Thanks for joining us, Tom. It's a pleasure. The Tasmanian Liberal government handed down its budget last week. Can you give us a rundown on what's in it and what it says about the priorities of the Hodgman Liberal government? Basically, it's a, it's another uh, neoliberal uh, budget from uh, from a, a liberal uh, state government. So there's uh, there's big expenditure in in infrastructure, 
There's a huge amount of uh, corporate welfare, but there's limited spending on uh, the services that Tasmanians rely on. We have big problems in Tasmania around cost of living, um, homelessness, uh, yet the government has ignored these things while handing money over to the to the corporate sector and uh, promising uh, big surpluses. And as you said, they've promised a pretty large surplus for the size of Tasmania's economy, but the government has retained its regressive policy of capping public sector wages at 2% per annum. What can you say about that? So we've now had a uh, policy in place in Tasmania since uh, 2011 to cap uh, public sector wages at 2%. Initially, that was in response to uh, the global economic um, crisis and uh, the, the situation that occurred then. Now, uh, the government is saying public se- decent wages in the public sector are still unaffordable, but at the same time, they're delivering uh, surpluses in the first year of uh, $162 million. And the Treasurer says uh, paying an additional 1% to public sector workers would cost the budget $25 million a year, but he's delivering a surplus of $162 million. So clearly what they, they are saying is uh, they don't respect the work that public sector workers do. They don't believe they deserve a, a decent uh, wage increase and they would re- rather give the money to their to their corporate mates than uh, deliver fair wages for uh, for our public sector workers. Successive governments in Tasmania have had this 2% wage policy. What has that meant for the real value of wages for public sector workers in Tasmania? Well, it means that Tasmanian public sector workers are now the lowest paid in, in the country. They're earning on average about $150 a week less than the national average, which is appalling uh, and it's already uh, starting to affect our ability to be able to re- recruit and retain um, the, the best workers uh, to deliver services for Tasmania. But because the public sector is so large as a proportion of the uh, the economy in Tasmania, it's also depressing wages for uh, all workers. So uh, we're saying, you know, Tasmanians need a decent pay rise. Um, and the first step in doing that is for the government to uh, scrap its 2% wage cap um, and uh, start to uh, to generate uh, you know, greater wage increases right across this whole state. Now, you mentioned that this budget is a neoliberal budget. Is it packed full of trickle-down economics and things like that? Trickle-down economics is the message in this budget. You know, we, we will give money to, to big companies to, to build infrastructure. Um, we'll cut uh, payroll tax. Uh, we'll cut stamp duties. We'll cut every, every form of state tax um, paid by largely by businesses in order that uh, they will employ more people and, uh, and, and pay higher wages. We've, we've heard this mantra from, from Liberal governments for the last 40 or 50 years. It doesn't work. The rules have been broken in this, in this country. Um, so there is no longer any link between even unemployment and, and, and wage growth. Um, so uh, to, to say to us, you know, let's, let's try it again for another four years is really saying to people who are doing it really tough in our state, um, you're just going to have to put up with that. This government has no plan uh, to deal with your homelessness uh, or, or the other cost of living pressures that you're, you're facing. And state governments around the country have been looking to another neoliberal favourite of privatising public assets. Is there any of that in the Tasmanian budget? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had a promise from the uh, from the Liberals at the, the state election just a few months ago that there'd be no privatisation. They weren't supporters of privatisation, yet uh, um, they announced yesterday that they were putting the, um, the colonial uh, treasury building in the centre of Hobart up for, for sale to, uh, you know, so they can attract some sort of um, um, tourist operator to set up six-star accommodation in the middle of the middle of the city. Um, they don't see that for, as uh, as privatisation, which is just, uh, um, you know, I, I can't I can't believe that. So uh, here we go again. Let's hand a uh, 
an asset of the people over to a uh, commercial developer to to make a whole lot of money out of it um, and uh, set up six star accommodation for uh, for people that uh, um, that can afford that and for more than 12 months, the CPSU have been running a Have a Heart campaign, fighting for additional funding and more staff in the Child Protection Service in Tasmania. Was there any movement from the government on this issue in the budget? Look, this was one, one glimmer of, of light in, in yesterday's budget. We, uh, we finally got the government to agree to, to employ an additional 25 uh, child safety officers uh, to start to deal with the uh, the huge backlog in cases, you know, what a an appalling thing to think we've got a we've got children who are reported at risk at risk, waiting on a list to get uh, allocated to a worker who can who can help them. Um, so that w- that was great. Um, Twenty five might not seem like a big number to you know in in other states, but in Tasmania it will make a huge difference. It will mean that. Um, all of those kids should be able to be allocated to a professional child safety officer who has the time to give them the care and support that they deserve. The government, or the, the Tasmanian government mentioned that a lot of people are now moving to Tasmania seemingly to find uh, you know, a different lifestyle, but jobs remains a huge issue in Tasmania, doesn't it? The unemployment rate's still very high compared to the national average. Job, jobs are, jobs are a big issue in, in Tasmania, but uh, cost of living is a big issue for people as well. Um, if you come to Tasmania, um, our average wage is eleven thousand dollars a year less than the national average. So uh, you know that might have been all right in the days when when uh, you know housing was very cheap, but this is not a cheap place to to live in anymore. Um, house prices have gone up, um, fuel, uh, electricity, rates, water, everything has has going up faster than than wages are growing at. So uh, whilst I love this island and I I love the people and I always encourage other Australians, you know, to come down and have a look at what we've got here. Um, something has to be done to make this an affordable place to work and something has to be done to ensure that there are um, the sort of jobs, the sort of uh, secure jobs that people can count on. You can't relocate a family um, from interstate for uh, part-time or, or casual work um, or for low-paid work. So uh, they, they, the, the state government talks about wanting to, uh, to encourage families to migrate to Tasmania, but they are doing nothing and they have no plan uh, to create an environment where that's uh, going to actually happen. Tom Lynch, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Stick Together. Thanks to both Tom Lynch and Tony Sheldon for joining us. This program's produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Federation. The show's distributed right around the nation and to your local station by the Community Radio Network. Stick Together relies on listeners like you to keep workers' stories and union news on the air. You can do your bit by calling your local community radio station and subscribing today. If you'd like to contact the producers of the show, you can call us on 03-9419-8377 or emailing us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Stick Together Program. The podcast of this show and other recent episodes can be found at www.3cr.org.au forward slash stick together. Finally, remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. I'm Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together.